Speak softly loud and hold me warm against your heart. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Hollywood Godfather Podcast. Here we are again with more interesting stories. This two topics, I mean, the topic we're going to talk about now is... Well, we'll probably take up the whole show, so we'll only do this one first. <laughs> Pat, you want to introduce it? Pat, well, first of all, welcome back. And Megan, welcome back. Thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you, yes. Uh, yeah, uh, until you and I started to do uh, uh, research for the book and you know, I was picking your brain, you know, I never knew the, uh, the depth and the scope of the mafia's involvement in Hollywood. I mean, it was not much you know, surprises me anymore. I mean, I, I knew, uh, you know, the, the Bugsy Siegel stories, how we used to hobnob with uh, uh, with Hollywood big shots and all that. But I didn't know that they actually ran the industry and still do. Oh, yeah. No, that's uh, amazing. Unions. And, you know, you, you're the expert uh, in that area. And I think, I think we should talk about it. Certainly, if I, I didn't have this information, I think most of our viewers didn't either. Because I'm pretty up on my mob lore. Well, well, the interesting thing, you know, when they started introducing people, the only real actor at that time that actually had mob connections was George Raft. And, and uh, the song and dance man, James Cagney, got the, uh, you know, the, the uh, monocle of being a gangster, but that was all through acting. But Raft mm -hmm. really had connections. Mm -hmm. and with yeah, that, I heard that too. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is that then, then you get a guy like Johnny Roselli, who was groomed by Chicago, came out of Chicago, uh, and very charming. So like the Bugsy Seagulls of the world, and still even to today, I mean, people love that gray area. They find it very sexy <laughs> that somebody's in the mom. And we, we all, no, I shouldn't say we, but we, I have to say we. Yeah. We, all, we all dress well. We're groomed. <laughs> we have manners. We're not like these thespians that, even when we did The Godfather 50 years ago, I mean, these actors would show up, looked like they needed a bath. Huh. I mean, even Sterling Hayden. Sterling Hayden, I heard stories, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sterling Hayden had long. Who was Sterling Hayden? Sterling Hayden was a major old actor who uh, left this country and Paris embraced him huh. to have him. He was living on a barge on the Thames. And how, they, how he got away with it for the American government not to extradite him, he registered in Paris as a painter, hmm. and he lived on this barge, and maybe every day he'd throw a stroke on the on the barge, <laughs> and that was it. Well, so, and he played he, he played the corrupt captain in The Godfather to get shot in the restaurant by Michael. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's who he was. Got it. But they wanted him, and they made some kind of deal. Unfortunately, at that time, one of my friends was the mayor of Paris, uh, and then he became the president. But that's somebody else. That's let's stay in Hollywood. <laughs> but anyway, they made this deal. He came in. The reason I'm saying it that morning when he showed up, we were all there, and here comes this guy. I mean, he he needed a bath, a shave. Yeah, dirt. Yeah. I mean, filthy guy. Yeah. But that's that's and why I'm saying that is, you know, the images of the George Rafts and these guys were always well groomed. Right. And the old actors were like Fred Astaire. These guys were impeccably dressed mm -hmm. all the time. I mean, they were supported by, you know, the theaters. And, I mean, the the studios by by you know, giving them wardrobes and teaching them and mm -hmm. all that. 
we went, that's when they were contract players before there was a, such a floodgate of talent. They, they weren't going to put anybody in their contract anymore. Mm. You got filmed to film and you auditioned. So but, to make the entree, to, to get the initial uh, contact and to, 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 to begin to lay the groundwork to get inroads into Hollywood, Roselli was specifically sent out there? Yep. Sent out there with the knowledge of what they did with the Teamsters. So first they organized again. the Teamsters and all the drivers on the sets to pick people up. Any truck that moves, you had to be a Teamster. Mm. So when they made that deal with Omer Warner and Cohen, all the beginning guys, they had no problem with it. And they liked it because it was organized. They're not going to have any problems. Yeah. I mean, they all mentions that they were. They want no problems. <laughs> and they were promised by Chicago that no mob would ever come to California. They would control it. Really? And that's why, as we get into this, you're going to hear some stories of, of mob guys, even from New York, that went out there later on and tried to make a move on them. And even myself, well, you know, I shot two guys out there in California for New York people. But uh, not to kill them, just to wound them. They went stupid. Mm -hmm. But um, so they started with that, and then a guy called Smiley, Alan Smiley. Mm -hmm. I went out there. I was like maybe 18 years old, and they said go to the Doheny, uh, uh, the Houdini Estates are called, and there was a building right on the corner, like the first high rise. And I met this. This guy was so slick, a gray polished head. Hair dressed impeccable, only wore alpaca sweaters. He golfed every day. He was at Beverly Hill Crest Hotel with Dean Martin. But I mean, these are these guys. And then uh, Swifty Morgan, as you know that story. Oh, there's a lot of good Swifty stories. Yeah, they, they and tell, Swifty they, Morgan. They impart some of those, man. Yeah, but I'm saying, but Swifty Morgan, Capone actually sent them out there because Capone, he was the only guy that robbed Capone and got away with it. Capone thought wow. it was a joke that this guy would do this. How do you do? What do you do? He robbed them. Actually, borrowed the money, saying, so "Paying you." Wow. <laughs> what did he, what, he have? A death wish? No, but then seems and, and, like it. But he loved the guy, yeah. and he said, "You could use me." A guy like me. He was like five five. Yeah. With always a fresh carnation, a boutonniere. I mean, this guy was so. Wow. And he said, "How could I use you?" He said, "I know what you're doing out in Chico out in California. I can help you." <laughs> so he went out there. And he moved into the Beverly Wilshire Hotel. That's where he lived. <laughs> he said, I ain't getting no maids. I ain't done that time. Wow. And they, they financed them. But when you're starting to get these kind of guys in Rhodes, and then you have the connection with Lou Wasserman, who had MCA, which was the biggest agency in the world. And then everybody else that fell into place, William Morris agencies and all them, they had a control then, and that was it. Between so the mob basically kept their word. There was never any trouble out there. Nobody ever went on strike. Nope. No, you know, oh, so... No. Uh, and they, they, they felt it was pay, they yeah. pay the dues and do it this way, and we'll handle it, and they did. But that's why Tony Accardo, Tony Batts, and people that don't know this guy, he was the real boss of Chicago. I mean, he was, a, he was a, an enforcer with Yale Cohen. Yale went to Vegas. They were bodyguards for Capone. I mean, it's said that they were shooters on the St. Valentine's Day massacre. That I don't know that to be true. But even like my partner, Nick Nitty, in our book, his father and, and, and that whole family, 
you know, the nitties. I mean, Frank Nitty, forget about this guy. <laughs> he, he, he took over when Capone went to jail. So when I am hearing these stories, that's from the horse's mouth. And, that, and then Johnny Roselli was a perfect guy to go out there because he was so dapper. And, they looked the part. And a tough guy. <laughs> yeah. And they, they knew they were going to take um, but the fiasco between Virginia Hill and, and Bugsy Siegel. They, I think he, they shot him in 48. Yeah, 48. And uh, so they, they needed to keep replacing people. And Bugsy was like Mr. Charming. He was invited to every party, huh. every every premiere, and Johnny Roselli just stepped right into his shoes. Yeah, he was charming until you pissed him off. Oh my God, well, yeah. Oh, sure. Well, same thing with Bugsy, hello. Yeah, that's what I meant, that's what I was talking about, Bugsy. Yeah. Yeah. That's why they called him Bugsy. Well, and you couldn't say Bugsy. Have you ever said Bugsy and not Betty then? Hit, hit, hit. Yeah. You, oh, really? Oh, no, you gotta say Bugsy in front of Betty. <laughs> yeah, oh, you no, didn't like no. that name. And these are all Jewish guys. <laughs> yeah. Everybody says Italians. These guys, you know, well, Louis Lepke, hello. And Hyman Roth, all these guys are major guys. Yeah. Well, that's one interesting thing about the Italian mob. Uh, it wasn't only for Italians. They were equal opportunity gangsters. Oh, yeah. You know, where the money was, they, they, they picked the best and the brightest. They didn't care what you were, who you were. Right. Yeah, but even I the agree. Irish guys don't know that time. They yeah, had them. Yeah. They had, you know, it was interesting. But but nobody, even to today, ever went to California. And there's a story in my mind that I, I was a part of, not that I wanted to be. There was a great restaurant uh, on Sunset Boulevard. Mm. And uh, it was Nikki Blair. Now, Nikki Blair came out to California with a guy called Tony Curtis. And I think Tony's real name was uh, Lipschitz or something like that. Yeah, it was Lipschitz. Oh my yeah. gosh. Uh, yeah, that was his name. <laughs> and, and he went, and both of, them went to, both of them went to Fox Studio, actors thing and all that, but obviously Tony Curtis made it, Nicky didn't. So Tony always backed him, and Nicky was a very charming guy. And he, he worked as a, the first time I met him, I was like 17, 18 years old. He was the, the maitre d' at Stefanino's on, on Sunset Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard, there was Dino's Den. He had all that going on. Yeah. El Morat, I mean, they had everybody out there. And Ciro's, I mean. So he, they got behind him, and they opened up Nicky Blair's. Why I'm bringing it up. This brings you into the 70s and the 80s. And, you know, a lot of mob guys went out there, and they knew when to go out there to behave. Mm -hmm. Well, there's this one guy who is from here, New York City, and he owned a restaurant in New York, and he had a guy working as a waiter. His name was Joe Pesci. <laughs> and he financed him and followed his dream. And when Joe Pesci hit it, he got Joe Pesci to rent Charo's house, and he moved in with a whole entourage. <laughs> like... He said, I could take care of you know, all, these, all these faggots out here. I'll, I'll teach them a thing or two. And we got word right away. And we said, <laughs> and there was, there was a couple of guys out there that really, he ain't doing that to. I don't mm -hmm. know who we are. And they'd show up maybe 140 pounds, thin. They don't curse. They talk very gentle. You could scream and holler at them. And they'll just say, well, I'll call my boss and let him know what your feelings are. 
Mm. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah, he, he likes to get bad news immediately. Yeah, hello. Yeah. That, that, that line they definitely did steal from him. I know, yeah, I, I figured that. Yeah, when I was, when I was uh, uh, growing up, I mean, I was a kid. I, what did I know? But uh, I, I knew a gangster when I saw one. But they were extremely polite and, and uh, deferential to everybody, you know, women particularly. Oh, my God, yeah. Uh, very nice people. And they, uh, I was like eight, nine years old. They used to play around with me and uh, whatever. You know, it was, that, that was then and this is now, you know. And it's a to totally, different, to totally different organized crime scene now. Yeah, so, I mean, when, when they, again, they, when they met with all the studio heads, they guaranteed them there'll never be a strike. They'll never have any other people come in from other states to muscle them. We are taking California and where your insurance policy. And they trusted them for years and still do. Well, it worked. I mean, yeah. why should they trust them? And, and the interesting thing, like you pointed out, how come there's no strikes in any of those labor <laughs> unions? You never have a strike. Yeah. Asking for money or never. They, yeah, what they get, they just keep getting and getting and yeah. getting, and everybody's very happy. And then there's one day, and this story, I only know this story well because of the fact that I was a part of it, and uh, I used to have a table at Nikki Blair's every Friday night. And then one night I, I called and I, I used to tell them how many people I needed. Mm -hmm. And they said, John, we can't give you the table tonight. I said, why, I've had it every Friday night. Well, there's a guy in town, Joe Denty, and and he's close to Nikki, and he wants that table. And I knew why he wanted the table, because I had the table. Oh. And he was trying to show, you know, he was trying to mark his territory. So I said, no problem. He said, we'll give you the other side of the room. I said, no, I'm not coming no more. Huh. I ain't going to get in a piss and match with this guy. Because right. I knew he was a, three, a street thug to begin with. Because I called here in New York. I said, who's this guy, Joe Denty? Well, he's a good friend of ours. You know, he's good friends with a lot of the actors, and they like him. And he had a restaurant. He supported them all. I said, what does that have to do with him coming out here? He said, well, he wants to come out there. We can't stop him. I said, well, you should. You have a, a, an ongoing respect to the laws out here. And I call Chicago. They know nothing about this guy. And they didn't. Mm -hmm. So well, you, you you had a bit of a run in with him. You want to share that story? Oh, no, yeah. not with him. With with two of his guys. Well, you know, I was with him basically because he yeah. kept he kept he, he sent them. Yeah. He kept sending messages to me. Like how? Like sending uh, Johnny. We want Johnny to come to you know Sundays. I have Sunday dinners at my house. I want you at the table. Oh, this that, and the other. And I kept making up excuses. And and then the uh, a guy that I knew well. I said, just tell him I got a lot of eat. I don't want to bring any attention to you. Mm -hmm. So that used to calm down people. It did for about a month. And yeah. then he kept saying it again. I said, oh man, this guy. So I called New York. I said, I don't mean any disrespect because I knew who he was around. And I said, I don't mean any disrespect to this guy, but I'm not going there. I mean, it's well known that anybody walking in and out of this house, it's your picture they're, they're being filmed. Oh. Yeah. I mean, did they ever figure out why the milk truck is in front of his house seven days a week? Let's <laughs> <laughs> drink a lot of milk. I mean, that's how stupid <laughs> they are. So with that said, one night I'm out with my wife at the time and her grandmother and, and her mother. And we're in a place called Tattoo on Cannon Drive. It was like a nightclub. There was one here 
at the Plaza Hotel, mm-hmm. and they had complete nightclub acts. And you sit down and have a dinner. It was like old school. It right. reminded me a lot of the Copa. That's why I really liked it. Mm. So here I am, and here comes two idiots that I've seen around Joe Denti, because he used to travel with an entourage everywhere he went. I mean, he destroyed more restaurants just by hanging out in them, because then nobody would go again. <laughs> and he's crude, and, you know, and not, not a gentleman at all. So these two guys come up to my table, and the guy taps me on my shoulder. Is you, Mr. Denty wants to see you now. I said, excuse me? He's Mr. Denty wants you to see you now. I said, tell Mr. Denty, as you could see, I'm having dinner with my family. I will reach out for him later. He's Which is all bullshit. Did you hear what we said? And the guy grazed me by the arm. So I don't want to create a problem. Oh man. First of all, in this in this club, right. I, knew, I knew the owner. And I'm here with my family. So I said, Grandma, ladies, I'll be right back. Let me go outside and handle this. So we go outside. There was a double door, fortunately, because we were on Cannon Drive, which is one of the main streets mm-hmm. of Beverly Hills. So in the foyer, I always carry. I have two gold, gold-plated derringers, <laughs> and it's in there in my pocket. So the idiots, I have my hands in my pocket, and they got me by my arms. Oh. So I shot one fast in the leg and the knee, which is perfect for a guy. Well, you know, Pete, uh, Pat, to shoot yeah, a guy in the leg look, is the most You go right down, yeah. Kneecap. These, yeah. Ten, these kids are in their 20s. Oh. And they're screaming and crying, crying, wailing. And they always kept my car up front. I had the, a Bentley or a Rolls, as I always did. I gave the guy a $100 bill. I said, bring my car around the back. I went back in, because there's an alleyway. In California, there's alleyways for everything because nobody puts trash out in front of their house. Right. It's in the back. And that, that alleyway, I knew every alleyway in Beverly Hills. So I go in, I tell my my grandmother, she knows me so well. She said, did I hear a car backfiring outside? <laughs> oh my gosh. I said, yeah, grandma. I said, when I leave, just take a car. And they knew who to call right. and go home. She said, everything handled? I said, yeah, I just called the police and the, and the mayor, and she knew him, and, <laughs> and Sheriff, I did, Sheriff Barker, and I, I went up to the Belle Hills Hotel. So they come in, and they said, on the scanner, there's been a shooting in Belle Hills. You wouldn't happen to do any of that. Oh. I said, yeah, I did, I did, I'm doing your job. They said, what the hell are you talking about? You're doing my job. I said, well, you should be keeping this riffraff out of here. <laughs> you know you can't have mob guys in Beverly Hills. They said, well, we don't want them around here. We know who you're talking about. I said, well, those two kids? He said, well, Johnny, they were taken away in an ambulance. They shot, there's police watching them. Cause they both were carrying guns. What? That, <laughs> that, that, well, that so saved your ass. So guess what I did to my buried, well, you know, Pat, what I did. Yeah, yeah. I said, I'm with my grandmother. You know Jim Carrey? He's Jim Carrey from San Francisco, the police chief. I said, yeah. That's my wife's grandmother. She was sitting with me. I think they were coming to kidnap her. (laughs) (laughs) They're still in jail. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Classic classic case of self-defense. Wow. Not only that, but they came to the table and I said, I'm here with my family. Right. And that didn't seem to bother me, them. I thought they were taking me out to come back and get them. Yeah. That's what I had to do. 
I yeah. said, I don't want to be dragged into this. Yeah. That's your story, and you're sticking to it. That's right. Absolutely. All right. And they okay. went back and questioned my grandmother and them at the house, and that's what they said. Oh, we don't know. These people came, and they... And they Oh, <laughs> and they God. said, well, are these the people that came? Yes, yes and that they was are. It. See you later. Wow, that's incredible. But Joe Denti, I mean, and the good news and the bad news, nobody took care of him. About three or four months later, he was partying with everybody. He had a massive heart attack on a Sunday afternoon in bed before going down to dinner. It was like I wrote the thing. Oh, and a couple of my, my friends from here called. He said, Johnny. You weren't at Joe Dante's house today. What you <laughs> I said they. I was gonna say they probably blame that on you too. Yeah, yeah. right. No, so he, he didn't survive, I think. No, no, he died. No, he had the heart attack. Was it? But even yeah. Joe Pesci was relieved. But by that time, he created such a stigma for Joe Pesci mm. in in Beverly Hills because everybody knew he was mobbed up, and that's one thing the studio don't want to know nothing about, man. And they, they don't want. I mean. I mean, they're not tough guys. They're legitimate yeah. business people, and they run a legitimate business. They bought the insurance policy from Chicago to handle all that, and they handled it to, to this last minute. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's mob people out there anymore, because basically that's all been eradicated, but they still respect their alliance with the unions and all of that. But Sidney Korshak, that's what he's known for. You have to get the book called... Oh, our listeners, every time we're, we're talking like the three of us here, we forget <laughs> the massive audience that's listening. Get the book Super Mob. It's an amazing book about a legitimate man called Sidney Korshak. His clientele wasn't legitimate, mm. but he was. In fact, he was, th he was an attorney, right? Yeah, major attorney, yeah. Major attorney from Chicago, represent a lot of people, and he's just been in the news an awful lot because he was Steve Wynn's attorney and I don't know how many people know what's going on there where Steve Wynn was opening another mass casino in Boston mm. and his wife Elaine who he divorced first who was a partner in his whole when he started the Golden Nugget and built the Mirage and the Wynn and all that's all his properties wow and uh, but when this Me Too thing came along a manicurist that he used to go get manicures with, he forced her to have sex with him. She said, oh. after five years of doing it, rather than it get out, because he was a public trading company, he paid her $7.2 million, hush money. Wow. 7.2 million, I'd have sex with him. Yeah, <laughs> well, he- not A lot of money. You're I mean, not his on. type. Uh, no, but this was after yeah. the fact. But ready yeah. for this? Yeah. His wife found out because he could never explain to, the, you know, to where's, because he used, the mistake he made, he used the corporate money mm. from the trading company. So Elaine was so mad, not about that. Everybody knew there were shenanigans going on with these guys. But he leaves Elaine, who he had his two daughters with and was with her forever. And she was in the trenches with him to get all these hotels. He leaves her. I mean, she still she still was on the board, and he marries this girl from London, and f you know flaunts her in front of his face. So she has an investigation. His wife, which she should have never did, and you're going to find out why. Yeah. And found out that he used, you know, public trading money 
to pay seven million two. So she blew the whistle on them to the SEC and they started an investigation you couldn't believe. So they had him step down from the organization. Which so Steve Wynn is not on his own board anymore? Nope. Steve Wynn. I didn't know that. Steve Wynn, I'll tell you right now, Steve Wynn is not even a stockholder anymore. Oh. Really? They forced him to sell everything. It's the only way the board and the current people that are all involved with him, plus they have a two or three billion dollar building just about to open in Boston. Really? And the gaming commission there said, if he's on the board, we're not gonna give you a license. Now you got a hotel and a casino, you got no license, what are you doing with that? Oh. This all just happened, and they're keeping it hush-hush, but look up this. But if Korshak was alive, this would never happen. That's hey, John, John, let me ask you a question. You know a guy that's connected to Steve Wynn by the name of Skip Bronson? Yep. Okay. He, about six years ago, I get a phone. Skip. Very wealthy. He called himself uh, Mr. Inside. Steve Wynn was Mr. Outside. Because he, he played up to all the press and everything. And this guy was behind the scenes. About six years ago, I get a phone call. And it's this guy, Skip Bronson. I don't know who Skip Bronson is. But he, he introduces himself over the phone. And this is my personal phone. Nobody's got this number. Uh, you have it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. No, nobody has this number. He calls me up and he says, I just read your book, uh, Mala Femina, which was... Uh, 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 Teresa D'Alessio's story right. oh. and he said I like the opening line in the second chapter my grandmother was a bookie he said my grandmother was a bookie and uh, and I, I, I'd like you to tell my story because this guy Jewish guy started out with zero and he's a very very wealthy guy he says I'm going to fly you out to Beverly Hills and you're going to write my book I never told you this Johnny no wow. okay so I get a hold of Frank Wyman I said I think I got a live one here I said, I can't negotiate with this guy because I wouldn't even know where to start. You know, I mean, he's, the guy's worth hundreds of millions of dollars and, you know, you're the guy. So he gets me, I forget what it was, it was over 100,000. 100, I go out there, puts me on a plane, first class plane, uh, first class seat. I go out there, he's got a stretch limo waiting for me, puts me up in a bungalow at the in the Beverly Hills Hotel. Hotel. Wow. They, they go for like 7000 a night. I you know. know it's, I know. Well, it's a freaking house. I live you know. Oh, my gosh. And yeah, you know what? So my house, not, not, to, not to interrupt you, but just to know, yeah. my house that's still there is basically 200 feet from those bungalows. I had and a I house was, right, next to, right next to Merv Griffin for years. That was, what's her name? Bernie Cornfield's house. <laughs> okay, he, he takes me. You know, I, I still haven't wow. met the guy. I've met his chauffeur. You know, I mean, you know, he, he takes me to the Beverly Hills Hotel. Got great service, uh, and uh, I, I uh, meet him. I forget the name of the restaurant. But big famous Italian, oh, uh, Wolfgang Pops Park's place. What's the name of the place? Um, well, it's, it's normally, oh, I know the one, the Italian one. No, yeah, um, he had some. It'll come to you anyway. Yeah, he he meets me after lunch and he lays everything out. He said, "I want you to tell my story." He said, uh, "No one knows who I am, but." You know, part of my life, he's a self-made man, very nice guy. He introduces me to his wife, go to his house. His house, uh, he bought from Ella Fitzgerald. Oh, Ella wow. Fitzgerald, he's got, he puts the down payment on the house. Ella Fitzgerald still lives in the house, but she's dying. Now, they're waiting for her to die before he can move in. And he tells me this uh, story, the, the couple of days be before she died. Every major singer, you know, pop singer, 
jazz artist. Paid homage Ser- to her. Serenaded her 24-7 yeah. in the house until she died. When you walk into Skip's house, you walk you walk through a door, you think you're walking inside, and you're walking into a big garden, an open garden, and the house is built around his garden. absolutely beautiful. I, I, I've never been to Beverly Hills before. And he said that was Ella Fitzgerald's bedroom up there, and all these guys uh, camped out in his garden and serenaded her for a while. Well, Johnny Mathis, all of them loved her. I mean, she... I mean, Sinatra, Alephus, I mean, you named it. She she was the goddess to all these guys. Oh, yeah. And it's, anyway, she dies. He, he moves in. And he, uh, him and Steve Wynn built this empire. So he tells me, you know, we start talking. I was there for a while, you know. And we start talking. He's telling me these really good stories about a lot of celebrities. I can't mention names. Uh, uh, some really salacious stuff and funny, funny stuff. And so I'm starting to outline chapters. And I'm, I'm showing it to him. He says, well, we can't use any of this. I said, what do you mean we can't use any of this? I said, this is good stuff. People, you know, this is interesting stuff. People love their celebrities, particularly read about things they don't know. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, no, I, I can't do that. Skip was, until is, he's a gentleman. He said, I don't want to tell stories out of school. I said, there's nothing that's going to get anybody locked up. They're just funny. You know, uh, anyway, he, he wouldn't do it. He gets his son, who's uh, in, he's in the business out there, screenwriter and other some does some other stuff, and uh, trying to uh, 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 his his son had to tell him, yeah, dad, you got to put these stories in the book, and this book is going nowhere, <sighs> you know, uh, so that's where it went. It went nowhere. Uh, he just wanted to talk about it. He had a very interesting life. He had a you know, it came from nothing with the grandmother who was a bookie and. There's a lot of a lot of organized crime in his background. A nice guy, but I said, you know, no one cares. You no, know, yeah, uh, no, no, yeah, no one's concerned with this. So anyway, uh, so we decided not to do it. I was there for a while, lived like a king. One day, he said, uh, he showed me a great time. I mean, what, what a gentleman! I mean, me, him, and his wife went out to dinner every night. Every place he went, he got the royal treatment, and uh, I took advantage of that. You know, I was his guest. He says uh, t- t- he's got he's got uh, uh, tickets to see the L.A. Lakers. Uh, he's got house seats. He's there for every game. He says I'm taking you to a Laker game tonight. I'm taking his son's seat. Now I said, listen, I'm not a sports guy, and I'm not. Uh, I don't give a damn about sports. I'm just not interested. You know, I like mm-hmm. boxing a little. You know, I, I boxed in the army and all that. But I said you're wasting your time, and I don't want to take your son's seat away so you, you can entertain me. He says, hey, it'll be me, you, and Jack Nicholson. Yeah, I was just going to say it. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, he says, him and Jack Nicholson are really good friends. So he <laughs> says, don't you want to meet Jack Nicholson? I said, yeah, but not at the expense of your son. I mean, you know, the, the L.A. Lakers, it's a big deal out there. I oh mean, you God. get a, a season seat. You go to every game. Well, Jerry Buss, are... Jerry Buss, who bought the Lakers. Yeah, there you go. I yeah. know him he is. And yeah. when they built the new stadium. Staples. In Staples. Staples yeah. put up the money. But yeah. they built it. Jerry Buss had the, the the lease to it. And they had to put the staple name on. They paid a lot of money. But where I'm going with this, I'm very good friends with Jack Nicholson. And um, building the new studio, the, the stadium, they actually built Jack Nicholson a room, and they said it was a bathroom. But it was because he didn't. They said he didn't want to walk far. But it was just. A, a room with very high ventilation, so when he wanted to walk to the bathroom, he could smoke a joint and come back. Oh my God! That's what it's for. Well, I tell you, and, and it's you know, 
uh, Skip was saying, you know, you can go out and meet Jack Nicholson. We're going to have a great time. I said, you know, at, at the time I was still uh, compiling notes for the book. And I, uh, I said, no, I'll, you know, I'll get some room service. I'm fine. You go, you guys go out and have a good time. Anyway, I go to my room, uh, which was a house. Right. And, um, uh, and I'm putting together notes. I'm organizing myself. There's a knock on the door. I open it up. And Jack Nicholson is standing there. Oh, my gosh. And he says to me, what is, you know, he's still breaking my chops. You know, him and this, he was with Skip. Right. Uh, and he said, Wani, you don't want to go to the game with me? You know, oh, yeah. I said, it's not you. Trust me, you know, but they were, they're trying to get me. I said, you know, because I, I know his son wanted to go to this thing and they're wasting their time with me. I don't care. You know, I just didn't care. No. So anyway, they, they went and we all met later at the Polo Lounge, which for me is the fun part, you oh, know. My God, so. yeah, <laughs> but that's there, my Skip Ronson story. I had, so, I had booth too, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, anyway, now I, I I take all this money. I think he gave me sixty thousand down or something like that. It's a while ago. I forgot. Now I go back. I didn't do anything. I mean, I didn't. I put together some notes, and he said, "Look, uh, because his son told him, Dad, you got to put these stories in there, otherwise you're not going to, you know, tell your story, but you have to intersperse it with uh, with some good Hollywood gossip." So Skip wouldn't do it, and he said, uh, I, "I guess this book isn't going to get written." I said, "Yeah, okay, you know, so." I go back home and I call Frank. I said, hey, we're going to have to give this guy his uh, down payment back. He said, no, we're not giving anything back. He calls him up and he said, well, look, you know, you made an agreement. This guy says, you know, stop right there. He said, yeah, I understand. He said, keep the money. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. And we kept the money. He wouldn't. You know, now, we're, we're, what a nice guy. What, well, what a but, but Skip, because, yeah. I mean, uh, I, 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 Skip is more with winning gambling and all that but he yeah. he had nothing I, I thought you were alluding that maybe he told you he had something to do with the union no no he didn't tell me that. out there Not at all. Uh, no because we're talking about the unions that's why i, yeah, was, yeah. I was wondering if he was saying that uh, just my hollywood story <laughs> oh, 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 <laughs> the only hollywood story i have so I okay <laughs> you have a lot you have a lot of stories yeah but, you know again our audience to today hollywood the theaters with the projection union, they covered every aspect of that business. And there is no strikes. There's nobody. I mean, the Actors Grill uh, Guild, which they don't own or mm -hmm. control, that's a different body of work. But even they very rarely went on strike. But, you know, because they, they covered it and the studios knew they had to. Mm -hmm. But uh, Did the mob ever put up their own money for a movie? No, no. I didn't think so. They, they don't put up their own money for anything. No, I would assume. Why would they have to? They got too many... <laughs> oh, I figured, you know, something uh, no, no, the they figured, it was, it's an investment. And, and look, any any movie, any play that really hits it big will make you rich overnight, you know, but we have a, that's it's the gamble. very dangerous money to invest. Yeah. I mean, No, but I'm saying to you, I mean, I, I can't say that some mobsters didn't invest in movies. They did it just because they have extra cash. Mm -hmm. I yeah. mean, we're a witness of right now of how they they got Tom, I mean, uh, John Travolta to play John Gotti mm. in this uh, Did movie. you see that movie? No, I wouldn't go see I'm ashamed, that. I'm ashamed to admit it, but I saw it. By the way, I was the only one who saw it. What uh, was the movie? The, the John, John Gotti's Gotti story. Oh. It's on, uh, if you want to see it, and I don't recommend it, but if you want to see it, uh, it's it went straight to Netflix. Yeah. Oh, okay. They, they tried it wasn't to supposed to. And this is with John Travolta starring. Interesting. I mean, this just. Not, yeah, I'm surprised year, I haven't. I'm a year surprised ago. I haven't heard. This is it. a year. You heard more publicity about it because 
and there we go. Joe Pesci was involved with the beginning, and John Jr. went out there, and, you know. Technical it, advisor. It's, it's a different, you don't do that out there. Mm -hmm. And he went out and, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. And, you know, it's, anyway, I, I, I don't want to talk about the kid. He's still alive. And Yeah, but uh, arguably the, one of the worst movies ever made. And that's why I wanted to see it. I wanted <laughs> to see how they screwed this up. Stacy uh, Keach was in it. He played O'Neill. Oh, really? He was good. Oh, that's interesting. Stacy Keach was good. I mean, uh, he was the only good thing in the movie, uh, and he played O'Neill, and he did a great job, you know. Well, O'Neill was John's rabbi. Oh, he, yeah. he loved O'Neill. I mean, O'Neill was the one that brought him to the neighborhood. He was making, bringing in so much money, and that's why he went crazy with Paul Castellano and Tommy Bellotti and killed him. Because he when, was supposed when, to be the boss. Well, when Gambino said, listen, and he wanted to step down, he was getting old, he made Paul the boss. And overstepped because he was the O'Neill Della Croco we're talking about to the audience out there don't know. Um, O'Neill, yes. But, and he used to go by O'Neill. Again, they like to use Irish names. Mm -hmm. But uh, he was the underboss to the Gambino family forever and demanded respect in a gentleman way. You never played with O'Neill. I happen to love O'Neill. He loved me. And we hung out many, many times. See, now that's an old, that's an old time gangster. When he got passed over for the head spot, he accepted it. Oh, yeah. He didn't, because that's what, the, whatever the boss says, that's it, it goes. When, when when Carlo Gambino said, I'm, I'm putting my son-in-law in here, he's the boss, and O'Neill said, yep, and everybody bitched, and you know, they wanted to push O'Neill to, to, to so he can have his rightly placed at the head of the family, he wouldn't do it. No. He said, and the I, boss I, doesn't I, want you know, it's an interesting thing about it, and, and O'Neill was already sick. Not too many people knew that already. Like cancer? Yeah, I mean, he died a terrible death. Oh. Yeah. But he smoked. I mean, these guys smoke. I still see guys, they go outside and smoke. I said, what are you smoking for? Well, I can't give it up. I said, okay. But that, I mean, how, how, do you, how do people that have any clear head, and anybody listening out there, how do you not understand? How do you justify it? All these I mean, warnings, everything right. else, I mean. Yeah. I lost so many people to lung cancer, man. Oh my God! Uh, Still doing good. Well, good, good, good friends, good friends. Well, we yeah. just talked the other night about Billy Leahy. Yeah, but I mean, Buddy Leahy. Right. Him and his son died six months apart. Oh. Throat cancer. Keeping the family, man. It's crazy. Nobody. They just smoke yeah. like chimneys, man. It's crazy. But I mean, O'Neill was um, what a gentleman. And as and now all the, all these guys we're talking about, they can never get a piece of California. It was just. Really yeah, long. the is, is is that a myth that that uh, the reason that there's no organized crime? Well, what is the reason? They say there's no organized crime, but what about Mickey Cohen and and his crew and uh, you know this organized crime? Well, no, but Mickey Cohen he he was sanctioned by Chicago. He was there as an enforcer. That's what he was doing there, not to bring in other families. They, okay, they had. I mean. Bugsy Siegel was there and accepted. Johnny Roselli was there and accepted. These guys were tough guys. But they were with the group that's supposed to, they knew they need agents on the street. You know what I mean? They needed somebody to police the day to day, in other words. Okay, so so what you're saying is Mickey Cohen answered to Chicago. Of course. Okay, didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it was understood because of when they got into the gaming business in Vegas, 
there was only five people, not five families in New York, five different major guys that were part of Vegas. But again, it could never do anything with the film or entertainment industry. And that's what it was. And those guys were recognized anywhere, you know. Myself, I'm, I'm, I'm around New York people and Chicago people. And then it got to be, you know, Kansas City, New Orleans, but I was just a friend, I'm not a wise guy. But they considered me a wise guy. And I went and talked to, you know, I mean, Sheriff Bucca, I mean, this guy is still, the sheriff, the sheriff in California is like, everybody discounts him. Don't ever discount this guy. He's got Isn't such he? power. Oh. Bucker, his name is Bucker, Sheriff Bucker. This okay. Guy, he's been there forever. But I mean, he knew, he took it over from somebody else. That's that's a neutral town. And yeah, they, apparently. And they, and they don't call nobody, they call Chicago. They don't even call anybody. They go see the guy they're supposed to see, and the message is sent to Chicago. Of course, the police take credit for that, but in reality, it's Chicago keeping everybody out of there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. No, yeah, the LAPD, that's their claim to fame, that they were able to keep the mob out of Southern California, which is all bullshit. Well, <laughs> well that, it is mm -hmm. bullshit. But the mm -hmm. thing is that, uh, I, I remember another guy, I don't want to mention him, he's still around, but he came out there with the record business, and uh, he took offices at, uh, apparently, at, at MCA and Universal Studios. And he found out, even with all his muscle, and his brother was a movie star, and uh, he, he tried it, and they closed him down, man. Closed him down. And, wow. Uh, yeah. Mm. And and people were calling Chicago, you gotta help us with this. He said, he wasn't supposed to be out there. Well, he was out there with Steve, uh, with Lou Wasserman. Lou Wasserman said it was okay. He said, well, then call Lou Wasserman. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, it's a, it's a it's a good world out there, though. I, it I, is. I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed. It. I mean, I was there for years and years and years. I still have two or three houses out there, but um, it's. I just can't live there. It's to me. It's like the only thing that happens at night is uh, you go to house parties. Everybody goes to dinner, and because it's the business, everybody's getting up so early, and right. there's very few clubs that last. Unless you're going to do this kid stuff, you know. Not only that, if you want to go anywhere, you have to. It's it's a friggin' road trip. Oh, you're you driving. Know? Oh, yeah, you drive. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's it's not like like yeah. Manhattan. You don't have to have a car. You live in right. Manhattan. Yeah. Jump in a cab. Yeah. I know uh, uh, plenty of my friends who don't have driver's licenses. They have, no. they never had them. <laughs> really? Yeah, I, you that's didn't wild. Need yeah. I I yeah. got one just because, but I don't. You know, I don't drive. I haven't driven a car in I don't know how many years. I drove out in LA for a while, but then I had Martin, my driver. No, I don't like driving. To, to me, it's yeah. But <laughs> in California, without a car, you ain't, you, you have to. You're not going yeah. to the grocery store. You're not going anywhere. That's right. craziness. Wow. So, so what that else? Time? <laughs> oh, so um, I'm checking on our time real quick. No, no. But um, what what highlights can we give about the unions that was so important that it's I, I don't know because <laughs> you know it's so it's so squeaky clean. I think I was the only person that had shot anybody in Beverly Hills, and but uh, for good reason. These idiots came by. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But uh, other than that, I mean, it is what it is. And a lot of guys went out there, mob guys, but kept it two feet in one shoe, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard that expression. Before. Neither have I. 
two feet yeah. in one shoe. I, I, well, I'm going to use it in, in our next book. I like that. Yeah, right. Uh, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, we got nothing else to say. We yeah, might as well just wrap it up for, wrap it t- for tonight. And uh, it, it's been marvelous again. <laughs> it's very interesting. When I always like to learn stuff. Yeah. And I, I yeah. never uh, uh, realized uh, any, most of what we talked about tonight. Oh, I never yeah. realized what went on. I mean, well, I didn't, did we talk about the jukebox business? In this yeah, thing? well, a little. Yeah. Uh, did it's you know who Tommy Eberle was? Of course, I'm, I'm okay, kidding. Okay, t- Tommy Ryan. Yeah. He, well, he was a big jukebox guy. We did some cases with him. Uh, I was working the night he got killed in '77. Guess, guess yeah. who's uh, the wife? His wife's brother is. Yeah, you told me once. Tell me again. Yeah, he was Al Latiri, who played Salazzo. And the golf oh. We were over at Tommy's house all the time in New Jersey. Wow, that's wild. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was shot on the street in Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, good guy, though. But, so I guess we're going to conclude our L.A. <laughs> connections with the mob. And um, oh, oh, what we didn't say, though, which is, is interesting, about Johnny Roselli, how he met his demise. Oh, yes. Interesting. Oh, my God. Because... And I was with a very close friend of mine who's still alive. I can't say his name, but we were on the 79th Street Causeway on our way home. And Miami. Yeah, Miami. And we're, we're, we're sitting at a place for steaks and I had an outside patio and one was great. Could watch the sun come up. And we heard Johnny Roselli was being called in on the Kennedy assassination. Mm. And not that we anybody thought he would flip, but I guess some people did. And just to show you the humor of these guys, when they took him, they killed him, and they held him too long, and he got rigor mortis. And this group that do, did these hits, they used to put you in a 50-gallon drum and weight it down. Oh. So and toss it in the bay. And toss it in the back. Oh my gosh. There's just so many boats in everybody's backyard down there. Right. So here they, I mean, Johnny, the story wasn't, I don't know how I know this, but his, he had rigor mortis in his leg. So they just caught off his leg and put it in the barrel. Then they sealed it as they, as they do. And these idiots put his initials, JR, on the barrel. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and for some reason, months later, the barrel broke loose. And it's, un, it's in the intercoastal floating. And I look up with my friend, and we can't believe our eyes. It's got JR on it. We heard the story that they did this. Oh, my goodness. We said, check, please. Check. Yeah, right. <laughs> we got out yeah, see, He was a very, very oh, sharp crazy. dresser. He had everything monogrammed right till the day oh, he died. He had his own coffin monogrammed. Oh, okay. That's what it was. He that's had sure was. everything. His hankies, everything was monogrammed. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. they monogrammed his... Five gallon, fifty gallon drum. <laughs> that's a lot of way to go. Uh, that's a little. That's a little mob humor there, Megan. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. yes. <laughs> that, that's hilarious, no? No, I, mean, I think that's <laughs> nuts. I love it. Then, not if you're Jimmy Roselli. Yeah. No, not no. quite. Yeah. Well, everyone, thank you. It's another interesting night. Please, every Wednesday night we put up a new show. I hope you're following in the mall. <laughs> we're we're hitting the twentieth hour of shows already in our library. Yeah, that's I mean, crazy. We're really piling them up. So we're not giving up. We're not taking a... Somebody said, are you going to take the summer up? I'm off all the time. It's <laughs> summer, winter, it's great. 
<laughs> you live like off, right? We have yeah. fun. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, yeah. But thank you. God bless you. Tune in and share it, man. Press uh, subscribe. <laughs> Listen to <laughs> Megan's Ted. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Good night, everybody. Good night, John. Good night. Good night. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. Email Gianni Russo with your questions, comments, and for information regarding his motivational speaking appearances to Gianni at HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com. Email Patrick Picciarelli with your questions and comments to Patrick at HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com and visit Amazon.com for a listing of books he has written. I'm Megan Horan. I can be emailed at Megan at HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com and would enjoy hearing from you. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. But most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails. Good night.